You're listening to the Banana Data Podcast, a podcast hosted by Data IQ. I'm Trevaney. And I'm Will. And we'll be taking you behind the curtain of the AI hype, exploring what it is and what it isn't capable of. In our season two finale, we want to know about the business impact of AI. How do we measure success? Who calls the shots? And when is AI really worth it? Okay, so this is the season finale for Banana Data. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of interesting things so far this season, I should say. So, like, we start off with what makes a good data science practice? What do we do for pipelining and production? You know, all these things that we've talked about, open source, collaboration. Yeah, like um, building of a data science practice. Exactly. And now I think we have to address the elephant in the room, which is what's the value of all of this, right? What's the return on investment? ROI, which is like business 101, right? The ROI of AI. ROI of AI, it's mouthful. Okay, yeah, yeah, so I think that is a great topic of conversation for today because I think it's one, I mean, you know, in preparation for this episode, we thought about a little bit and I think we can tell the listeners and the viewers kind of what we found. But in general, I think to me, the first thing I'll say about this is I feel like it's somewhat overhyped. The return on investment. No, let me explain. Like, I think people, potentially listeners and viewers of this podcast are like, oh, you know, what's the ROI of AI? They want to know. They're very critical, skeptical. But to my mind, it's like, as we talked about, you know, on our previous episode, at least to this point in time, data science, kind of broadly defined, they've been like separate departments embedded in organizations like perhaps Stitch Fix. And so Stitch Fix, I know for a fact, has a marketing team and like, the leadership of Stitch Fix says, hey, marketing is probably a good thing for us to do as a business. Therefore, I'm going to spend money on employees and marketing efforts. And I'm going to hope, and not just hope, like I'm going to measure and track that my effort in marketing leads to a return on my investment. Like, no, duh. Of course you do that. Right. But so I don't understand why people are so wary about ROI for AI or data science, or data analytics. Like, to my mind, if you're a business leader, it's pretty cut and dry. Like, if you're a CEO worth your weight in salt, you should know how to do this regardless of the arm of your organization. You should say, I have some objectives in mind. I can measure kind of the inputs, how much I'm spending on this, what I'm getting out in terms of tangible cash and intangible market value, and go to town. There you go. Calculate ROI. Yeah, not but, that hard. No, but like not everyone's AI data science practice is so clear cut. There are things that people are putting into production or things that are like much more intangible in a way, like you are measuring it with data, but how do you measure we prevented X number of... Yeah, and and that's what I mean about, like, it's not maybe fully trivial, but, you know, I studied economics way back when in school, and like, this is kind of the branch of thinking that is economics. Like, yeah, you're right. How do you know the value of a prevented accident? You're like, oh, well, if the accident never happened, but who's to say that the accident actually would have happened? Like, maybe AI didn't save anything, but that's just naive thinking. Just like people say, oh, what's the value of, you know, $1 spent on public schools in America? It's not easy to measure, right? right? But like, clearly we know it's a good thing to do. And if you're creative and you actually think about it over the long time horizon and you gather some data and you design a quote unquote, like, social experiment, you can start to put numbers on this thing. And if you're the CFO of an organization, like that's a big part of your job. Yeah, it's so funny because I'm a data scientist and I'm about to tell you that don't look at the data, right? Like don't look at the numbers. You heard it here first. You heard it here first, guys. Don't look at data. No, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm able to go in. I'm saying, look, here's my data. I did X, Y, Z and 
we increased our revenue spend by whatever or blah, you know. But is that as important to measure as it is to know that you're creating something much more intangible, which is to say a data-driven organization, right? Because at the end of the day, when you bring in, when you create sort of this data science team, a data analytics space in your company, you're also creating a new mindset among folks that I'm not just going to go based off of like some intuition or gut, which sometimes might be good, but also I can use data and numbers to back up what I think I need to do. And that is not a measurable effect, right? I would disagree. I think what you're saying is like data and data savviness can be part of an organization's culture. And I think the claim I hear you making is that culture is this amorphous, immeasurable thing. But say you're like, hey, at our company, everyone shows up on time to meetings. We're not late to meetings. Punctuality is really important here. Like you can try to ascertain how important punctuality is to your business. Like this broad idea of being a data-driven company, like you can distill that down and say, hey, the product team is now more data-driven instead of just deciding that blue looks better. Like they A-B test it and they see that blue outperforms red by this percent. Like we can distill that into a number of new subscribers. It does take work, which I think is maybe another interesting thing for us to talk about. And I think maybe the lazier or less well-endowed companies take the time to do this, right? Because it's one thing to do the analysis and it's the other thing to say like, is the the analysis of the analysis. But I think if you want to be a responsible steward of your money in the long term, if I'm a company, if I were a shareholder in a company, I would want that company to say, hey, we've invested in analytics and we've done analytics on the investment in analytics mm-hmm. to kind of prove out the value of this thing. Well, and that's interesting. You said the word responsible. And of course, that triggers me to think For about sure. my favorite thing, which triggered, is responsible it's a, AI. It's a trigger word. But, you know, like not only measuring the impact on the bottom line and like the business, and how much money we're spending versus how much we're making, but also what are the impacts of what we're doing and like actually measuring that? What are the unintended impacts? What's the meta-analysis we need to do on those things? The two ways that I think it's most commonly employed are kind of on the cost side in terms of decreasing inefficiencies, right? So you can look at the numbers rigorously and say like, hey, there's this part of our sales cycle that's taking a month. And it's unnecessarily like the paper's getting caught up, blah, blah, blah. We just need to like use this app. We'll sign off on the paperwork right away. And now our sales cycle shortened by a month. And that's great. Data leads to insight, leads to better business practices. So you're decreasing inefficiencies on the cost side or on the revenue side. Like we've talked about again a lot in this podcast, sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, I'm going to do better customer segmentation and think that these people like red shirts Mm -hmm. and they're going to market to the red shirt people. That's easy enough. One thing that I'm also interested in talking about, which I think is appropriate on this podcast, are the intangibles. So is my AI being responsible? What's like the upper bound on a cool AI-driven product? Yeah. You can think about, okay, in terms of revenue, like this is how big the market is. I can figure out if I do a little bit of better job with my marketing, I can make like 5% more in sales next year. But what if you have like a fully AI-driven product? Like the sky is kind of the limit. And I think that's the really interesting. That's what I think captures people's imagination. It's not like the sales side or the cost side. It's like, how can making an AI-driven product revolutionize my business and open unseen potential? How is your data practice reducing costs and improving revenue in a practical way? I don't think we should be aiming for this like big revolutionary thing because then that puts a lot of pressure on data science and analytics teams to deliver 
something huge yeah. that is completely undefined. Overpromise. Overpromise under yes. all of that. But then at the same time, like, okay, so let's say that's what we're going for. We're going for like big revolutionary AI impacts. What do you suggest we do if the data team comes up short? Yeah, and I think that's something where this podcast can add a lot of value. If you are a leader who's kind of steering the direction of your team, not to flatter myself, but I think the previous breakdown is helpful. It's like you can really know at the end of the day if this essentially financial audit has found like an inefficiency that you can exploit to save money. You hired an analyst, they figured out the sales cycle's too long because of X. We cure X and therefore we improve the sales cycle. That's cut and dry. And like that is not hard, I think, to see and find and measure ROI on. But I think you're right that if I'm a CEO sitting around talking to other CEOs and everyone else is saying, like, we made our product, our refrigerator, as we discussed on a previous episode, like you just have a standard refrigerator, Trevaney. Like my refrigerator is AI powered. And then someone's like, oh, oh damn. Everybody else now has AI-powered refrigerators. I need to go out. I need to AI-power my refrigerator. And now I think you get into this problem area, which I think a lot of the literature that we found on this is referencing, where you have some leader who has this aspirational idea about AI, but they don't really know, like, what will my AI-powered refrigerator really do? The current state of the art in AI, how good are, like, voice recognition systems? Is this actually feasible? That's the stuff where I think people can get into hot water. Okay, so this is interesting, actually, because I found this article in Forbes by Nikki Baird, and it's called Measuring AI's ROI in Retail, Thinking Big and Small. And so she makes this point that there are a couple ways that we can see impact of AI, right, at the macro and the micro. So like at a macro, it's things like Uber creating self-driving cars, which if they're not killing people with their self-driving cars are reducing the number of traffic accidents or something. And so we can estimate X amount of savings because traffic accidents have gone down. But at a micro level, that's not really something that's going to like affect me on a day-to-day, right? Like the fact that self-driving cars exist doesn't actually improve my bottom line or me as a person every single day. But then on the flip side, there are certain questions that are really actionable and like AI can be helpful at a micro level, at the individual level. I have an app that I track my food in, which I should do more of, frankly. But if I track my food in, that app is able to see that like I tend to go for like chocolate after my lunch meals. And so maybe it'll ping me and say, hey, instead of picking up a piece of chocolate, why don't you pick up some fruit? So this is micro AI? That would be micro individual level AI. And the return on that is so much different. Like in an aggregate, if this app says, oh, we helped like 300 people choose fruit over candy, is that an impact they're actually going to measure? No, not them. But for me, I can say, oh, this app has impacted my life. I think this is all to say that when you look at things like even retail, where the margins are really thin, We need to think about measuring sort of the ROI of analytics as like, how does this information that the analytics provide change some behavior? And is that behavior actionable, right? But if we just say like, oh, look, we did this AI driven whatever, and it's a smart fridge now, like, is that actually changing my behavior on a day to day? Is it actually changing my behavior in a way that then aggregates up to better returns for a company? Or is it just something cool? 
I think it's just a measurement problem. Like I disagree with the premise of the article and that mm. Uber creating self-driving cars, like, yeah, that impacts your behavior. And that also in aggregates, like hopefully you don't get in an accident, but it saves broader accidents. Like it's just a matter of accounting and doing math and extrapolating. So I don't know. I don't fully see the distinction between micro and macro AI in that case. I think it gets down to what the business problem is. So if your business problem is I need to use AI to improve something that my company does, like a process or the product itself, Mm -hmm. then you're looking at it at a macro level. Mm -hmm. But if the AI's impact is truly at an individual level, right? Like, okay, so broadly speaking, yes, our AI app is really good at telling you to stop eating candy. So then people buy more of the app. Yay. But the real impact, the real ROI is coming to those individuals who are using the app. And so like that ROI should not be discounted just because it's not at the big macro business making money level. Yeah, I feel like we're getting into a conversation about like economic systems, but I think that's kind of how capitalism is supposed to work. And that like if I have an app that adds value to you, the individual in theory, you're willing to pay for it. And the price, to some extent, encapsulates that micro value. But I do think your point more broadly about just like business alignment also resonates and is worth just making explicitly clear. Because I think some of the stuff we found, when people do talk about lack of ROI of analytics projects, it's again, just a lack of communication between people. And again, this goes back to like every episode we've had interview guests on the podcast with or just things you and I have discussed. But when there's a lack of collaboration mm-hmm. or a lack of communication with you know a business leader who's kind of making strategic calls about the future of the organization and someone who just understands both the data assets and like the capability of data science and data analytics tools, if you don't have a good working relationship there or you don't have one person who has both of those skill sets, that's one way in which you can definitely suffer a lack of ROI because you have someone who doesn't really understand data science saying, hey, data scientists, you know, here's half a million dollars, go figure this problem out. And they didn't know that they just assigned you an impossible problem. You know, and actually this happens a lot. I have seen folks, I've had clients and prospects say like, okay, we need to do big issue X. And it's not like something that you're going to solve in two weeks or even like three months, right? Like it is a starts with like data collection, right? Collecting the right data and then taking the time and being patient to say, okay, it's going to be a while before we can understand this data well enough to even like start analyzing it, right? And then on top of that, looping in the right people, right? Who understand like what data really means. I think where you start seeing people saying, oh, I'm not getting any return on this is when all of those steps are kind of like ignored. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, or else to speak for myself, for me, it's very interesting point you made about time and patience because it's one thing when you're a more nimble startup. Mm-hmm. But if you're an organization that's been around for 100 years and you have tens of thousands of employees and you have databases all scattered about and your business processes are so disparate, then I think when people say like, oh, we want to make the data lake and we want to drive mm-hmm. insights from the data lake and this, that, and what have you, that's tough. And I think probably the risk there for these leaders is that not that many people have done it well in the past in those that have. And and as we found kind of researching this episode, people aren't necessarily giving away the secret sauce. You know, if Mm -hmm. I'm the CEO of Walmart and I figured out how to build a data-driven organization, I'm not just going to go tell that to Costco, right? That's a real proprietary trade secret. But 
I think for people who haven't gotten it, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't persist. Like cleaning up your data when you're a massive 100-year-old enterprise and starting to get any insight from that is a long venture. And so I think it's a long term return. It's a long term return. And so a good leader will also have the insight to say, hey, we're going to embark on this investment and we are expecting to see return from it. But everybody, like shareholders or internal employees or customers, this is going to take like 18 months before we can actually get this done. Well, isn't that's another important skill, I think. Yeah. And I think this is, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but this is like sort of a common issue within like generally startups too. Why do you start a, a company, right? Because you have this like great innovation and you just like want to make it happen. But then you have these investors after you saying like, why haven't we seen any like money coming out of you guys? Like mm-hmm. what's going on? Yeah. So as a result, maybe the startup has to scale back their vision or kind of like compromise on some aspect in order to start driving profits quicker. I think that like in some ways, there are a lot of organizations where data science and analytics is the startup within the company. And yeah. being able to quickly show that profit and sort of like viability, then it can go either way, right? You can either do it really well by starting small and saying like, okay, we're just going to tackle the simplest thing, which is email campaigns. Yep. Or you say, look, this is going to be a big challenge. You have to be patient with us. Yeah, I wanted to actually pick your brain on that topic. So if you are an organization that wants to get value from data, from data science, and you're Let's again stick with the enterprise and not the startup. What do you do? Do you start small or do you go for the home run? I think I know what you're going to say, but I could see an argument being made on both sides. Well, I mean, it depends on how big your team is, right? You Maybe you have like a team that's focused on the immediate short-term gains just to sort of stave off the people who don't know data, right? And then you know that you have like your explorer team, Mm -hmm. right? Being like, okay, we need to actually solve this bigger problem. How are we going to do that? Like, what's the process to doing that? Yeah, I like that idea. The one thing I feel like that I don't like that I hear you saying is whether you're a data science team within an enterprise or whether you're a startup that's VC backed, like if you're getting this pressure, right, let's stick with the VC example in this case. If you're saying, hey, VCs, we're going to revolutionize the world with AI. Hopefully, if you're not full of garbage, you're going to be able to lay out a roadmap that's reasonably accurate to getting that value. If you were just blowing hot air and lying to the VCs, then like five years down the line, you're going to be nowhere closer to getting value. And they're going to say, hey, you promised us returns by now. But I think if everyone's being honest, and again, within the enterprise, if the data science team has an honest conversation with the business leaders and they say, hey, this is a hard problem, give us a couple of years to figure it out, then like the concept of that pressure, I think shouldn't be misplaced, right? If you're feeling pressure, it's probably because you made a promise and you're failing to live up to it. And that's justified. Yeah, or you thought you had the conversation that you had, but the other person <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah. hear it that bad, way. Bad you know yeah. what I mean? So like, I do think that part of the removing the pressure to have ROI is incumbent on the data science team to say, look, what you're asking for is literally not invented yet, yeah. let's say. Or what you're asking for isn't possible because we haven't even begun to collect that data that we would need for that. So like, being very clear and upfront with the non-technical side of the business to say, you want all of this like fun, fancy stuff because you saw someone else do it. But what you didn't see is all of the like backend hard work data lake that had to be built first. Mm -hmm. So I do think that like to prevent sort of that miscommunication, part of it needs to be, okay, basics. Here's what we have. 
here's what we can do for you right now. Yeah, it's boring, but it's going to immediately give you impact Mm -hmm. and give us time to keep working on the list. You know, we're focused in this podcast on data science today, ROI from data science. And we're usually thinking about businesses, maybe even enterprise businesses. In most enterprises, whatever that term means, they tend to be publicly traded. And if you're publicly traded, then you have pressure to perform to some metrics quarter by quarter. So that has a tendency to cause leadership in these large organizations to be more short-sighted, I would say. Right? You want to make sure that your numbers look good in three months or in one year. And I think another issue here is, to your point about these moonshots, which could be really valuable, you could progress the field. If you're working and you have short-sighted leadership because they're getting pressure from the external market, they're going to underinvest. And I think these potentially transformative, exciting things, which is another issue with regards to ROI for data science. Okay, so bringing this all together, right? Again, beginning of the season, we start talking about what is a pipeline, who's involved, how do you put into production, how do you know that you're doing good data science, all of that fun stuff. One thing that I think was a thread, right, was sort of this AI hype, as well as this like potential fear of an AI winter coming, right? Which is to say that overhyped AI, and now we're not seeing the return on investments. And so people are saying, well, forget it. Let's just stop doing crazy AI. So what I hear you saying, Will, basically, is that because of these sort of short-term valuations that the market drives businesses to, both enterprise and startup level, we're kind of putting ourselves in that position of creating AI hype, followed by no returns mm-hmm. followed by this AI winter, mm-hmm. which we've talked about quite a bit yep. this season generally. Do, would you say that's fair? Like, can we prevent the AI winter? We can prevent the AI winter, Trevaney. I love it. Sure. Yeah. No, but I think, okay. like, again, kind of maybe trying to tie up some of the things we talked about this season, right? like building a successful data science practice. Hopefully, if we provided any value on this podcast, uh, if you go back and look at some of the things we talk about, are you just our responsible data leader? Like there is to some extent, uh, which is maybe counter to some of the things I say at times, I think kind of a blueprint for how this can and should be done. So I guess, you know, as we look to wrap up this season, that would be my recommendation to people going forward is like, If you do your homework as a data leader, you could think about what are the best practices. You can follow them. You can even have a very rough, potentially, timeline on how long all this will take. So I would say, do your homework, listen Mm -hmm. to the Data Data podcast, (laughs) and good luck. I think ultimately, the way forward is for data leaders to learn how to communicate to non-data business leaders, and for business leaders to learn how to hear things in a non-hyped way. All right, well, last episode of the season, fact time. Crazy banana fact. Crazy fact. That is bananas. This one's actually bananas. Okay. So we know that the world's population is huge, right? It's 7.5 billion. But if all of those people, all the people in the world got Uh together and stood shoulder to shoulder, they could actually all fit within the 500 square miles of LA. Wow. Which is already how LA is, so... Not sure what's the difference. So that's a good one, Trevani. I like it. <laughs> so that's a wrap on season two. We'll be back with season three in a few months. So in the meantime, you can find us at community.dataiku.com, also linked in the show notes, where you can actually get in and ask us questions that you'd like to see on next season. See you next time, Will. See you next time, Trevani. That's all we've got for today in the world of banana data. We'll be back with another podcast in two weeks. But in the meantime, subscribe to the Banana Data newsletter to read these articles and more like them. We've got links for all the articles we discussed today in the show notes. 
All right. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure, Tavani. It's been great, Will. See you next time.